If you remain standing now as we share in God's word together, these words from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, will you read aloud with me? Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. We are in the third week and the final week of our sermon series, Will You Be My Neighbor? This has been a series that uh, Pastor Mark and myself had thought and prayed about for quite a while, and we thought that uh, we knew that he was going to be out of town these, uh, these three weeks. Uh, this week, be praying for him. He's at uh, senior high camp with our 13 senior, uh, senior high youth, and um, we knew that he was going to be out of town, and so we thought, what would be a series to bring uh, this week to these people of God? And, and we felt that a series on neighboring would be most appropriate, that many of us live um, in towns that experience a lot of turnover, that our neighbors come in and out, and sometimes it's really hard to get to know them. Uh, sometimes it's really hard to learn their names before they're out and on to the next job, on to the next thing. And, and many times we can become kind of secluded. And so these last three weeks, we've been learning about neighboring, what it truly means to be a neighbor to another. Uh, the first week, we learned about the greatest commandment, that Jesus was asked uh, by a lawyer what the greatest commandment was, and Jesus responded, uh, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, we learned then that really in, an, in our effort to try to apply the term neighbor to everyone, we actually end up applying it to no one. That in our effort to kind of love the entire world, we actually end up loving no one. We don't really apply it to anyone. And so we were challenged the first week to get to know our literal neighbors. Uh, we were asked to get to learn the names of the eight neighbors that live around us. And then if we maybe knew their names, really get kind of involved in their life. Maybe know a little bit about their goals, about their, about their life's hopes and dreams. And so we've been learning a little bit about that these last few weeks. Uh, last week we talked about fear, how fear can creep in. We can kind of fear not necessarily our neighbors, but the idea of our neighbors. We make up these narratives, these stories in our head, and we kind of make these things bigger than they ought to be. Um, but as we talk about getting to know our neighbor, um, as we talk about actually spending the effort to try to get to learn names and stories, as we talk about that, one of the first excuses that can come up is, well, I don't have any time. Right, have, you ever, have you ever said that? I don't have any time. I am chief among sinners when it comes to that term. I, I got to be honest, I, I really love being busy. Does anybody else have this kind of, it's a craving, really. I, I, I love to be busy. I, I, I love to have a lot of work to do. And, and it really doesn't even matter if it's all that important. I, I, I just love doing it. Uh, at the beginning of each day, I have a, a checklist on my desk. And, and I love to write down everything that I'm going to do that day. It can be as mundane as, as taking out the trash. and I'll, I'll write it down on the list. And then my favorite thing to do is, is check that thing off the list list. Did anybody like to check off lists? Is that anybody? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Checklists are amazing, and it makes me feel so good when I get to, at the end of the day, look at this list, and all these 
things are scratched off and I could say, look how much stuff I've done. I've been so busy, right? It, it feels good. It, it makes me feel important. I got to tell you, one, one of my favorite things is to get a phone call when I'm, when I'm with some friends, right? Do you ever do this? You get a phone call with some friends and, and, and it's work. And you get, to, you get to say that line, right, that I've got to take this, right? And then walk away. Oh my gosh, it feels good. I hate to say it, but it feels really good. I get to be busy. I get to be busy and I can become so consumed with being busy. Does anybody else have that sin in their life, that, that busyness? that I have a feeling that a lot of us really enjoy being busy. A lot of us really enjoy that. And many times, whenever we do that, we can start lying to ourselves. That when we become busy, when we, when we jam-pack our lives full of time and, and, and full of energy, it, it, it's amazing, isn't it? That, that right now, the technological advancements that have happened in our world are far beyond any that have ever occurred before. That you would think with all the technological advancements that we've had in our life, that we would have more time. Right, That all of these time-saving techniques that we've developed with technology have just expanded. There are so many, yet we still jam-pack our days full of stuff. It's never like we just have time open because of this technology that we've had. No, it, it just keeps getting full of stuff. It keeps getting full of stuff because I think we lie to ourselves over and over again. We've been walking through this book called The Art of Neighboring, and, and, and when they talk about time, they talk about these lies that we tell ourselves when it comes to our time. Uh, one of the first lies is, tell me if you ever said this, things will settle down someday. Has anybody ever said this? Things will settle down someday. Y yeah, when you're dead, they'll settle down, right? Things will settle, that, that's a lie we tell ourselves when we get too busy, that we think something will just happen, right? Something out in the future, I, I, I don't really have to think about it, I don't really have time to think about it right now, because something will happen someday, Right? Maybe we've said that before, and, and the truth is, it's, it's a lie that we tell ourselves, because it really won't unless we do something about it. Now, lie number two is this, more will be enough. Now, maybe we haven't said this outright, but, but our actions show it. That if we think if we can just do one more thing, if we can just go one more place, if we, if we can just add this activity, this, this, this thing, or, or that thing, if we can just add one more, then we'll be content. That will be enough. And the truth is, it, it's a lie. It's a lie we tell ourselves. And the final one is everybody lives like this. We tell ourselves that, that everybody lives like this. This is normal. This is, this is natural to live in Edmond, to be the place that we live. Everybody lives like this, and the truth is they don't. And in fact, healthy people don't live like this. And in fact, Jesus didn't live like this, and he doesn't want that for us either. Uh, Jesus says this in, in John chapter 10, uh, verse 10, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, when he said abundantly, he didn't mean that we would fill our lives with abundance of stuff. No, he meant that we would not just have full lives, but that we would have fulfilled lives. That we might live in Christ and we wouldn't need to pack our time full of everything that we could find, but that we might have an abundant life in Christ. 
And so that's when we read the story of Luke chapter 10, the story of Martha and Mary. Now, I love this story because I find myself in it so easily. It's so easy to place my life directly in the center of this story. Uh, Martha and Mary are sisters, and, and Martha has a home, and she hears that Jesus is coming into town. And so she runs out, and she invites Jesus and the disciples, all 12 of them, over to her house. I don't know the last time that you had 13 people over to your house, but I imagine you made some preparations, right? I mean, and, and, and again, this is stuff that I love to do. I, I, I really do like to clean. I, I like to organize. I like to put th- things away where they go. And, and I like to do that kind of stuff to get ready to have people over. It really excites me. And so I would have been right there with Martha just getting the whole house ready, especially if Jesus was coming, right? I mean, you would make some preparations. You would do some stuff. You would, you would get meals ready. You would, you would, you know, put the nice pillows out that the kids haven't slobbered all over. You would, you know, put the blankets up. And you would do all this stuff to get ready for Jesus, and so then finally Jesus does come, and, and, and the disciples, I would imagine, gathered with Jesus in, the, in a common room. And, and what was common in these times was for a rabbi to sit at a chair. As Jesus was, he would sit kind of in an elevated space, and, and all the other disciples would sit at his feet. Now, this happens a lot that you would hear that somebody has studied at this rabbi's feet. And so these disciples were, were, were disciples of a particular rabbi named Jesus. And so they would study at his feet. But what they found was that Mary was there among with them, right? Mary is with the disciples. Now, now this was not common in this time that women were not allowed to study at the feet of rabbis. And in fact, if a woman was in this room with Jesus, she was supposed to be with Martha. She was supposed to be getting things ready. She was supposed to be preparing meals. She was supposed to be cleaning. She was supposed to be getting these things ready that the disciples might be able to learn. And so Martha is in the back, right? She's, she's in the kitchen. She's getting things ready. And, and you can just imagine the steam coming out of her ears, right? I mean, Mary, her sister, who, who, who this isn't even in her house, Right? And, 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 and she's over there sitting with Jesus as, as Martha is just like, right, like muttering under her breath, just getting ready as Mary gets to sit and learn from Jesus. And so finally, in the midst of Martha's busyness, right, she's just had enough. She storms up to Jesus and, and, and she says, don't you care that I've been doing all of this work? Can you imagine saying that to Jesus? How long had she been stewing to the point when she, she stormed up to the Son of Man? She stormed up to the Son of God, the one who is both fully human and fully God. She stormed up to him and she said, don't you care that I've been doing all this work? And Mary has been sitting here at your feet. She says, then tell her to get up and help me. Whew. Those are tough words, right? Can you imagine the height of her frustration when Jesus responds, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. You are worried and distracted by many things, but Mary has chosen the better. Mary has chosen the the better. I imagine Martha just threw up her hands right and stormed out, had to, had to mull over her words that she had just spoken to Christ. 
And I wonder if as she went back to the kitchen, as she, as she maybe even stormed out of the room and, and out of the house, if she sat outside and looked up at the stars and, and mulled over Jesus' words. You are worried and distracted by many things. Does anybody else here, here feel worried and distracted by many things? We feel our, our time can just pull us apart that all of these all of these opportunities, all of these things that we have signed up and agreed to do, all of these things just pull us apart where we feel like we are so distracted, so worried that we can't even notice Christ right in front of us. We are worried and distracted by many things. And in fact, that word for things that we read in the NRSV, uh, that word in the Greek is diakonia. And diakonia can actually, it can mean things, but it can also mean service or get this ministry. It can actually mean ministry. In, in the book of Acts chapter 1, we read of the disciples getting together, and, and they try to find a replacement for Judas. And so we read this in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 23 through 25. It said, so they, the disciples, proposed two, uh, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own. That word for ministry is the very thing that distracted Martha. Martha's ministry distracted her. That what we find when we are called to do the will of God, rarely is it ever a call to not do the bad thing and in fact do the good thing, but usually it's us trying to decide between the good thing and the better thing. That, that rarely will we ever be tempted simply to do an outright bad, wrong thing that God does not want us to do. But in fact, we justify splitting up our time a million different ways to do many different good things. We divide our time with many different good things. But what we find is that in this life, we can really only do a few things really well. Let us make one of those things the great commandment. That if we lived our life not doing a million different things, but in fact only committing to a few good things, great things, that at least one of those could be the greatest commandment. That we might earnestly and seek trying to love God and love our neighbor, those living closest to us, those even living next door to us, that we might commit to do that thing in this life. A little bit later in the book of Acts, we read in chapter 6 that there had been more ministry than even the 12 could do. And so we read these words in chapter 6, 1 through 4 in the book of Acts, that during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists or the Greeks complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, it is not right that, that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven good men, uh, seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. 
So what happened was that there were 12 disciples, and, and they were out doing the things that, that God, that Christ, had called them to do. And there came a point where the Greeks came up to them and said, these widows whom you've been in charge of caring for, they haven't been receiving their daily distribution of food. Basically, they need people to wait on their tables. Disciples, apostles, you need to do this. You need to make sure that it gets done. Now, if I was an apostle, I would have jumped on that. Right? I mean, again, I love checklists. I love doing the mundane. I, I love order and organization. I, I would have been the best apostle table waiter there ever was. Man, I would have kept like a chalkboard in the back room and kept tallies of how many tables I could wait. Right? And then I would challenge the other apostles to see who could wait the more tables. Right? I mean, I would have been the best apostle table waiter. I wish I could have that job. But what the apostles did in their wisdom and said, no. There is something that only we can do. That there is a task that Christ has given us. And it's not just to wait tables. It's not just to do this thing. In fact, we have a job that only we can do. Let us select more people for this job. So they selected seven. We know them now as deacons. This is where the order comes from. We have the order of elders and deacons. And, and deacons are called for a particular job. And so they called these deacons together. They said, you make sure this gets done. Well, we make sure that we do the thing that Christ has called us to. And so I ask you, brothers and sisters in Christ, what is that thing that only you can do? What is that thing only you can do? And what is that relationship? Who is that person that only you can reach out to? I want you to imagine, I want you to think of that person whom God has placed in your life that you're the only one that can reach out to him or to her. Maybe it's to your neighbor. Maybe it's to the person that you have an opportunity to see every day. Just think about it. You have the opportunity to see your neighbor every day. Who, who else gets that chance to reach out to that person, to love that person or that family or that child that, that you have that opportunity to build that relationship? What if we committed to making that the main thing in our life? Stephen Covey writes in his book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that uh, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Have you heard this? That the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I think as Christians, we can commit to doing that. That if we simply focused our work, our time, and our energy on one main thing, our, our lives would really kind of fall into place that maybe our time wouldn't be pulled in so many different directions. So I ask you, what is the main thing in your life right now? What is the main thing? What is the thing that you spend the most time and the most energy on right now? Now, now for some of us, that might be work. And I think that's perfectly fine to, to spend a lot of time and a lot of energy on work only if we look at it as a means and to an end and not simply an end in and of itself. Then when we start focusing on our work simply for work's sake, well, then there are layoffs. And then we get that promotion that we thought would surely be different, but we become sorely disappointed that that our time and our energy could surely be spent in different ways. 
doing something that only we could do. What is the main thing in your life? Many times it's, it's really easy to, to spend all of our time and our energy on, on our children. That, that can be really easy to do, to dump all of your life in, into cultivating these relationships with our children. I think that's awesome. I think that's, that, that's perfectly right to want to do. But we have to make sure that we're, that we're not actually hurting ourselves and our family in the process. That what we see a lot is our, our parents dumping a lot of time and energy in, into, into sports or, or into to music lessons or, or recitals. And, 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 and we love that. Honestly, we, we sponsor a lot of kids out here that use our fields uh, and our grassy areas for sports. And, and we just love it. An opportunity to love children. But what we see a lot is, is really parents dumping a lot of time and energy for these things in and of themselves. And if we really stop to focus on what's the goal in that? What's the, what's the intended outcome for these things? And, and if it's to, you know, hopefully make your child a professional athlete, then, then maybe this is the right thing. But, but if not, is there another way to achieve the same goal? That we might actually have the opportunity to free up our time and our energy to focus on what we have agreed to as the main thing. There are times in our lives that we have the opportunity to stop and to redirect that maybe now is this time. Maybe now is that opportunity. That maybe as we, as we go home and as, as we mull over these words, that maybe we should just stop and think, what is that thing in our life? What is the goal? What, what is the outcome? What do we hope to achieve in, in our lives? And And how can we focus our time and our energy on that thing? That maybe as we think about those words, we might consider, is is the pace that I'm living at, is the pace we're setting right now, is it making me available to help those around me? Is the pace that I'm setting, is, is the way in which I'm working, and is my time, is my schedule allowed to help those around me? And if not, is what I'm doing more important than living out the greatest commandment that Christ ever set? That we might keep that the main thing. This passage about Mary and Martha is found in Luke chapter 10. It's the very uh, last few verses of the 10th chapter. And immediately following that chapter, we read about Jesus praying and the disciples coming to Jesus and asking Jesus to teach them how to pray. We read these words in Luke chapter 11 that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, Say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. That when Jesus was asked, Christ, when you speak to the Father, what's the most important thing to say? That when you have this relationship with God, what is the most important thing? What's the main thing, Lord? 
He said, the first is your kingdom come, that we might be agents of God's reign on this earth, that we might have an opportunity, a, a will to play in God's, God's plan on this earth, that we might be agents of God's kingdom, that we might bring God's kingdom on this earth, that we might each receive our daily bread, that we would receive our daily nourishment, Nothing more and nothing less. That, that we would receive only what we need on this day to get us through this day. We would depend on God for the next day. That we would receive our daily nourishment. That we would give out the rest. And that we would forgive. That God would forgive us only as much as we have forgiven. Christ said, this is the main thing. As we look at our neighborhood, as we pray for those around us, might we pray that, that God would use us as God, God's agents in those places that we live, that we might bring God's kingdom, that we would be agents of abundance, that we would know that God has provided for us on this day, that we would share that abundance with our neighbors, and that we would also forgive our neighbors. That maybe we forgive those who have wronged us, that we would maybe ask for forgiveness from our neighbors in those places where we need to seek that. That in these ways, if we keep this the main thing, if we spend our time and our energy on this thing, then Christ says that is truly an abundant life. That is truly a fulfilled life. That that is the very thing for which you were created. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, uses his analogy and, and he compares our lives to ships ships out on the sea, and he, and he said it's really easy to live our lives imagining these lives as ships to think that, that the, the entire purpose of a ship is to not crash into something, whether it's another ship or, 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 or a rock or whatever it is. It's really easy to believe that our, our lives as these ships are, it, the point is just to meander, right? The point is just to not wreck. The point is to not crash. But Lewis says there's a much more important purpose for that ship. That as the builders sat down to, to craft these ships for special purposes, he, he crafted each one with a purpose in mind. That ships were created with a destination in mind. That each ship, each vessel, each person, each Christian was created with a destination in mind with the very place in which you live. That you would be the love of God in those places. It's my hope and my prayer that we might do this very thing. 